Good morning. Let's turn in the word of the Lord to Joshua chapter 22. This is May 1st, and if you're familiar with any of the uh, marketing of our fair city, you'll know that uh, one of the best lines is, this is May, this is Indy. And of course, that's used in conjunction with the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway because of the race being in May. But indeed, May is one of the, the greatest months you'll find in the city of Indianapolis because of the weather and the foliage, uh, the flowers, and uh, all of the beauty that is here. It's also a, a season in which people are in transition. And we've prayed about a lot of those transitions here just uh, in the few minutes uh, uh, leading up to now. Uh, one of the uh, people you need to meet and will get to meet uh, are the Fisher family who are with us. This is Addie Bell's uh, uh, brother Brandon, his wife Megan, and their family. Brandon is uh, a student under care in the Australian Presbyterian Reformed Presbyterian Church, and he'll be preaching for us uh, in one of the evening services later this month. Uh, we're glad for their being here. We're also uh, thankful to be able to pray for those who've gone to Liberia. Uh, as you may have heard, they had a bit of an exciting uh, attempted first touchdown at the airport in uh, Liberia, and all the lights went out, and uh, they had to pull up suddenly and return after that harrowing experience and go uh, back back to uh, Freetown in Sierra Leone. Uh, the Lord preserved them, and then they were able to uh, safely return to Liberia a few hours later. And uh, we come to a, a month when there will be a lot of graduation parties. Um, we uh, have a, a lot of babies on the way, which is really exciting. We also have a number of graduations, and so people will be uh, coming to a conclusion of their uh, time of study, whether in high school or college. And uh, you know how these things work. People, they disperse, and then they end up going their separate ways. Well, in all of these goings and comings, what is it that keeps us united and keeps us on track spiritually? As we turn to Joshua chapter 22, we see an answer to that question. Because in Joshua chapter 21, last week, we saw uh, the conclusion of the land being divided. And the last division of the land was all of the cities with their pasture lands, as we read many times over, for the Levites in the 48 cities that they were to occupy as those who were sprinkled throughout the land to lead the people to the Lord uh, week by week as they would teach the word of God. And then we noticed in verses 43 through 45 that uh, the Lord showed his people a sort of punctuation point of the book of Joshua up to this point, that he had given them the land, that he had defeated their enemies, and that not one word of all of his good promises had failed, but they had all come to pass. And so commentators have noted that you can say in one sense that the first 21 chapters of the book of Joshua are all about the faithfulness of God to his people. And you might compare this to uh, one of the epistles. Uh, you know how the book of Ephesians reads with the first uh, three chapters being all about uh, God's work that he's done uh, for his people uh, and, and really on into the fourth chapter. And then it transitions into the responsibilities that God's people have. The same thing in Colossians or maybe the book of Romans is most famously noted for this. It ends with this great doxology at the end of chapter 11 and then the remaining chapters take a turn where the word therefore appears. And what we're called to do in the last chapters of these books is to be faithful ourselves to God. And so it is with the book of Joshua. The people are now getting ready to scatter. Uh, all of their enemies have been defeated. They'd all gathered to Shiloh where the tabernacle was going to be established and the worship of God would be held there. And now we see the people dispersing uh, once and for all into their own lands, just as we're dispersing all over the place in the month of May. Uh, how is it that the people of God will remain faithful? 
That's the question that is before us. So we're going to read chapter 22, and I want you to notice how uh, this chapter uh, goes through a, a conflict that the people have, but note how the chapter continues to press forward all the way to the end, which is really uh, the nub of the passage. So pay attention to that as we read. Let's pray before we read. Lord, we thank you that you've made us to be a people who are on the move. You've made us to be a people who would disperse from this place when we're done and we'll go back to our homes and we'll enjoy food and fellowship. Perhaps we will prepare for uh, a work week ahead. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we're a people who can come to the end of an academic year and graduations and uh, be moving off to new uh, uh, opportunities for education in college or perhaps on to new jobs, uh, perhaps other areas uh, that you've called us to be fruitful and multiply in your world. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you that you speak to all of our needs, and we pray that you would set yourself before us today through your word so that we might confess you as our Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word, Joshua 22. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them. And sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now, to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, uh, to go to the land of Gilead, to their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by commandment of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size." And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent, them, uh, sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, 
What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of Israel, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and wrath fall upon all the congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone for his iniquity." Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The Mighty One, God the Lord, the Mighty One, God the Lord, He knows, and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, If this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. When Phinehas, the priest, and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and to the people of Gad and to the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Thus ends this reading of his holy word, which we pray he would be pleased to write on our hearts today and forever.
This altar was a witness that the Lord is God. What is it that would hold the people of Israel together? Well, as the passage unfolds, there would develop clarity. And we want to see that clarity develop uh, to this punchline in this passage as we see it unfold. Uh, You can imagine uh, the the scene that is here. Uh, Joshua has uh, summoned all of the tribes of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he's getting ready to send them back. And he sends them back with one command, first of all. And there are four sections to this passage that are very clearly uh, delineated just by theme as well as uh, the structure of the passage. And you'll notice in the first of these that there is a command to these two and a half tribes that are going back to the eastern side of uh, the River Jordan to be faithful to serve the Lord. And as we think about the meaning of this passage for us in our current day, uh, we can see that the same truth applies. Uh, You, as the people of God, are commanded to believe and to love the Lord in this life, uh, wherever you happen to live it. Wherever your place of habitation is, whatever your possession is, you're to go believe the Lord, to love him, to worship him, and to serve him. And you'll notice that the, uh, Joshua takes this opportunity to uh, give this command to the Lord. Uh, but notice how he does it. And there are a few things we can learn in this passage along the way that aren't necessarily the main point of the passage, but they are beautiful little truths of Scripture and the way in which God has created us. And uh, Dale Ralph Davis uh, notes this with regard to this passage. He says, note that before Joshua commands these two and a half tribes, he commends them. He commends them. So if you look here at verse 2, he says to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You haven't forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but you've been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Uh, These had been given a possession on that side of the river. And the deal that had been struck with Moses was that they could leave their families there, but they had to come across to the west side of the river to help their brothers and sisters take possession of the land before they would go back. And uh, over these few years of war that they had had in conquering the land, these brothers had been faithful. And Moses will go on, beginning here in uh, verses uh, 4 and following, to tell them to be faithful to the Lord. But he recounts all of the good things that they had done. Uh, This is a a good reminder to us, uh, first of all, that it is possible for the people of God to be faithful. It's possible for you to succeed in serving the Lord by his grace. And where we see this kind of progress, we ought to be commending it. When I was uh, nine or 10 years old, I was in a speech contest for 4-H and I grew up in a rural part of Indiana where uh, education wasn't necessarily always the highest priority. And uh, when those of us who were in the the contest had finished our speeches, uh, the judges who were some uh, uh, old ladies, uh, perhaps uh, homemakers on farms or in the the small towns there in Carroll County, they were judging it. And uh, I distinctly remember the first thing that uh, one of the judges said to us as she looked at us all, After this uh, speech contest, uh, before they announced any results, she said, I want you to know, we want you to know, y'all done real good. Her grammar as a judge, judging a speech contest, may not have been perfect. But before she announced the results, she wanted to commend us. She wanted to encourage us. And 
again, while her grammar may not have been perfect, what did a nine or 10 year old kid like me remember? That she commended us, that she wanted to encourage us. And, and how much do we need to be encouraged? And how much do our children need to be encouraged? Or even when they failed, as we heard in the Psalm explanation here this morning, to know that just as with God, uh, our sin doesn't, uh, doesn't end a relationship. It doesn't bring about a, a relationship of wrath to us when we are God's people. And so where we see God's people succeeding and where we see our children doing well, they ought to hear those words from us that reflect the words of the Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's not something we simply look forward to hearing at the end of our lives. But God has put us here so that we might speak those same kinds of encouraging words to each other. And what's that do? Well, it encourages us then to go ahead and to keep the commands that are given. And you'll notice the command that's given here so clearly in verses four and five. He says, therefore, go and uh, turn, uh, go to your tents in the land where your possession lies that that Moses gave you. And then verse five, only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So here's the command, right? It's love God and walk with him. And the same holds true for us today. We're called to believe and to serve the Lord. And so they did. And this is really the end then of the the substance of the the first section. We're told then in verses 7 and following that they go ahead. But then we see in verse 2 that uh, as they go, uh, section 2 rather, uh, beginning in verse 10, that as they came to the region of the Jordan that is in Canaan, these people who were going back over the river, they build an altar of imposing size. So they gather up all of these stones. And uh, we might wonder why they did it. And the author doesn't tell us yet because he's keeping us in suspense. But We know that word starts to spread among the other ten and a half tribes that are there on the west side of the river, and they begin to to think that there is a great problem because this great altar that has been built is an altar for sacrifice. And you'll notice here in verse 11 that they've heard about this altar on the frontier, and what does verse 12 say? It says that when the people of Israel heard this, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Here were these brothers who had just shaken hands and hugged and and slapped the backs of those who had come to, to help them take possession of the land. And now they're ready to go and make war against them. Why is this? Well, the reason they were willing to do it was because they had a profound sense of the holiness of God. And this begins to come out. But what does this show us in our day and age? It's that while we do have this command to love and to serve the Lord, we also have a calling to hold one another to account. And we know this is simply what real life looks like. This is why God has made us to be brothers and sisters, so that we might hold each other to loving and serving the Lord. So what does this look like for them? Well, in verses 13 and following, you'll see that the people of Israel, they sent uh, representatives, uh, Phineas, Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him 10 chiefs to, to go and to confront these people with their action. 
Now, again, I don't think it's the main point of the story, but you can see the principles of Matthew 18 being worked out here uh, very well. The, these brothers sense that their uh, brothers have sinned against the Lord and they've built an altar and they're ready to go to war with them. But do they go to war with them? No, they don't. They very wisely send a delegation to ask what is going on and to confront them. And so this is what they do. Uh, in, verses, uh, 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 in verse 16, you see their words. They say to them, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. Here are these representatives coming and they're saying, what is this breach of faith that you've committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building for yourselves an altar in rebellion against the Lord? And they go on to recount what happened at Peor. And you'll remember that at Peor, the daughters of Moab had led the people of Israel into sin. They had violated the seventh commandment by going into uh, adultery with these women who led them into the worship of the Baals, the uh, God of fertility in that land. And it was a wreck and God had sent a plague against the people. And it's a, not a, a light thing that they would bring it up at this particular point in time because that sin had been committed in those lands on the east side of the Jordan. So you can see the wheels spinning in the ten and a half tribes. Maybe these two and a half tribes of brothers are going back and they're planning just to launch back into that same sort of sin that we all committed as a community on that side of the river. And they recognized that there was a, a corporate implication to sin because they recount what happened with Achan back in chapter 7 of the book of Joshua. He had taken the items that were under the ban and uh, there had been uh, a, a number of men who had been killed then when they went up against the city of Ai. Uh, 36 uh, of their brothers had been killed because of the sin of Achan and the Lord had to deal with them. And so they're asking this question, have we not had enough of the sin of Peor? Are you going to turn away and rebel against the Lord so that he'll be angry with the whole congregation of the people of Israel? What we need to commend here in these ten and a half tribes was their passion for holiness and for righteousness. They really cared. They cared that their brothers, they feared, were stumbling into sin. And this ought to characterize us as well. When we look around at our brothers and sisters, do we love each other enough to call one another to account? To do it in love, but to call people to remember and to see the brilliant holiness of our God. That he's worth even going to war over because he must be honored. Well, they wanted to call the people back to the words that Moses had commanded them in verse 5, that they would be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded to love the Lord their God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all their heart and with all their soul. We ought to have this same longing and desire for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters such that we're willing to get involved in the lives of those who are around us and to confront each other in love so that God's honor is maintained. Well, they approach uh, these two and a half tribes and then you see the response in verse 21 and it is a very good response. And we might say here in this third place that we're not responsible not only to confront our brothers and sisters and to hold them to account, 
but were also to listen in love. Uh, They weren't simply going to present their version of the truth and not listen, but they were going to listen in love and so reflect the character of God. And the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and half-tribe of Manasseh respond this way. They say in verse 22, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows. And let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, don't spare us. In other words, we would want you to kill us if we're going to go into that kind of sin. But rather, they say, what we were doing here is to, to build an altar, not, a tur- not to turn away from following the Lord. But they say, look at the geography here, folks. There is this great chasm known as the Jordan River Valley. And God's altar is on the west side of the river. And there are not a bunch of bridges that go across the Jordan River in that day. Their people wouldn't easily be able to get there. And they could see what would happen. That there would, over time, become a distance between these two groups of people. And so their idea was to keep others from saying to them, look, you have no portion in the Lord. They wanted to preserve the right to that portion in the Lord for themselves and for their children to say that there would be nothing that would get in the way of their faithfulness to God. There would be no breach of the unity that they had if they would build a replica, a great replica of that altar. And so they plead with the people that they had done this actually to preserve the unity of their fidelity to the Lord. Well, we need as brothers and sisters, to be able to hear one another out in these kinds of cases with the goal that we would all seek the Lord in holiness. They were saying, we want to go to the tabernacle in verse 29. And so what's the conclusion of the matter? Well, the conclusion of the matter begins here in verse 30, where they together bear witness and testify that the Lord is God. Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, they all hear this, the heads of the father's households. And uh, you'll notice what it says at the end of verse 30. It was good in their eyes. It was good in their eyes. They recognized the intention of the people who had built this altar, and they also recognized their fidelity. They were obeying the Lord, and they were going to obey the Lord, by coming across the river to offer their sacrifices according to the word of the Lord on a regular basis. And so they were able to say in verse 31, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you've not committed this breach of faith against the Lord, but you've, you've delivered the people of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And they take this report back. And it's good to the whole of the congregation of Israel. But notice what the result of it all is. How is it that the people on both sides of the river, in all walks of life, are going to be faithful? They're going to recognize this altar as a witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. This is going to be their common confession. It was going to be their statement together. And the altar would point to that. That Yahweh is, in fact, the one who is God of all the earth. And he's worthy of worship and praise. And this is 
Really the Old Testament expression in many ways of that great New Testament expression, that basic confession of the early church, that Jesus is Lord. And that this is the statement that unites us as the people of God, even as we scatter and we go in our different directions. Because we know that we're not called to go offer sacrifices at Shiloh anymore, nor in Jerusalem or at a temple. Why is this? Well, it's because the one who is the fulfillment and the embodiment of grace and truth, concerns for which we see here, concerns for each of which we see here in this passage, came as God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who himself would perfectly love and serve the Lord on behalf of his people. The one whose death upon the cross would be the final sacrifice on that great altar once and for all, for all time, for all of God's people, the world over, so that their sins might be taken away. And what is it that believers all around the world, and what is it that we who are seated here today are called to confess? We are called to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a pretty simple statement, isn't it? But it's the one that united the people. And we see that this statement has been made by people through the ages. You think of Martha when Jesus came at the time of Lazarus uh, dying and his being raised. Before he was raised, Martha herself confessed, confessed, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. Peter made the same confession there when he uh, confessed that Jesus was the Messiah We see Thomas after Jesus' resurrection bowing down before Jesus and saying, my Lord and my God, when he saw the nail holes in the hands of his Savior Jesus. He declared him as his Lord. And this becomes the basic Christian confession of the church in its early years and even today. What does it mean? It means that because he is the one who has established his people and established them through his death and his resurrection, that we are united to him, that we have our place. We have our portion when we are united to him and we declare together that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we're called to hold one another to as the people of God. That's the one in whom we find this great union. And you'll notice here that they build this great altar and they call the altar witness. And that witness was going to stand as a great heap of rocks to remind the people that the Lord is God. That heap of rocks isn't there anymore. But there is still a witness that is to be made for our brothers and before a watching world. And that witness is our response as the people of God testifying that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord and that he is our Lord. And of course, the greatest of those witnesses is the same root from which we get uh, the word martyr coming from the Greek language. It's not a heap of stones that is the great witness to the fact that Jesus is Lord. But what is that great witness? It is that people who have gone before us, like Stephen of old, or James, the Lord's brother, 
uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the Apostle James, uh, or saints like Perpetua, or Polycarp, or we can think of the two Margarets in Scotland, a part of our covenanter ancestors, uh, our forebears from so many years ago, or even people here in the 21st century who are giving up their lives simply because they confess that Jesus is Lord in places like Nigeria or in the Middle East. These, brothers and sisters, are great witnesses to the fact that the Lord is God, that Jesus is Lord. And what does that call you to do? It it calls you to see that we live for something that is beyond this world and simply a good place to settle in. But we testify to the fact that we, as a united people of God, the world over, acknowledge the headship, the kingship, the wonder, the glory, and the majesty of Jesus Christ. That he has redeemed us and that we are therefore bound as his people to love him with all of our hearts and with all of our souls. So these saints, they go through a great conflict here. But the conclusion of it all is that they find their union in their common confession of Yahweh the Lord, who is God. And we find that in fuller expression today in our great testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you uh, have called us in this day and age to be uh, this great testimony uh, to the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the fact that he has given us a land in which to live, that he has given us his righteousness to call our own, that he has taken our sins and made them his own, that he's arisen today and that he's seated at your right hand. So Lord, we pray that nothing else would be our testimony, that we wouldn't fall prey to any sort of legalism or worldliness or any other thing that would distract us and take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. We are here today, Lord, to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we pray, O God, that you would give us grace to pass on that same basic and yet profound and life-changing, history-altering and uh, testimony to the generations that would follow. Lord, we want you more than anything else. And so we pray that you would keep us faithful by remembering our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.